Hello and welcome to the Remaining Sane, Finding Peace in Our Chaos podcast, a podcast about both theology and police work. I'm your host, Will, and in today's episode, I interview a friend and longtime police officer, Ed Buckman. Morning, Ed. Hello. Ed, would you mind go ahead and tell us a little bit about uh, yourself, who you are, where you're from, just a little bit of background. Uh, my background, um, well, I've been uh, a police officer for about 13 years now. Uh, I'm married, and I've got three kids. Uh, before I joined the uh, the police department, I was in the Marine Corps um, and um, currently studying uh, leadership in a, a doctoral program at Liberty University. Um, uh, I, I'm dedicated to my family. I love my kids, and my my, my wife has been through some uh, amazing times with me. And uh, we've 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 moved down here um, right before I joined the police department, and so we've lived down here uh, kind of away from our family for, like I said, about 13 years now. Yeah, and as with everyone that you know I've talked to who's been on this podcast so far, you are a you know, believe in Christian, you, that's very important to you. Um, is, would you mind, what's your, your, I don't want to say just your theological background, but you know, what, what tradition do you come from or? So, uh, kind of non-traditional. Um, I, I had, I, I had some sort of knowledge that there was a, a God growing up the entire time growing up. I, I knew that there was a greater power. Um, my family never, uh, went to church, but they, they would often say things that they were pushed out of a church. I know at being a little kid, I never had any kind of reference. I never saw it, but they're, they're kind of like a negative site on a, and we came from a small town in, in, in Oregon. And so it was always kind of the, well, we got pushed out. We didn't have enough money. We were judged. Um, and then, uh, living up in, I, I lived up in Ohio growing up and I was kind of in and out of church, family, friends, um, again, knew, knew that there was, there was God. I, I knew that there was a God. I did not know Jesus. And so, um, moving down here, um, and, um, so we moved down here and the difference being from Ohio versus down South is that, you know, people ask, Hey, where do you go to church? And I'm like, what, you know, just a lot of, I, I don't, we didn't have a church. We never had a home church or anything like that. And so I went through, um, uh, police cat or the second, my second time through the police academy, I came to know a really good friend of mine and he gave me a book, uh, by John Eldridge wild at heart. That book I'd come early in the morning and begin, re- I started working through it. And in my truck, very cold January morning, I, I gave my life to Jesus and that was 2013. Um, and then from there, you know, praise God, first of all, praise God. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for, you know, working in my heart. And it really, and, and, and just to take a step back, it felt like, you know, especially that, especially that retrospective, it felt like all the kindling was being placed in my life, that that was the, that was the, the, the furrow rod that sparked the fire, uh, was that book, that, that man that God moved into my life, uh, because I had, Christian brothers through the Marine Corps that were, one was a pastor, one was a, you know, a believer that they would do small groups. And I'd kind of just kind of a little bit in, a little bit out. Uh, so anyways, uh, then, you know, started having, had my, my first son and I, I was like, I, I, we need to, we need a church. 
and began praying with that. My relationship with with uh, Jesus began with long prayer time in my car before third shift work. Put the kids down, put the kid down, uh, say goodbye to my wife, and I'd go sit out in my car just praying, reading through the Bible like something I'd never done. And um, began praying for a church. And uh, 2013-ish, um, Cop Church Chattanooga started. And so I was a cop. I needed a church and uh, loved uh, Jonathan Parker as a brother and mentor. And God blessed us with Cop Church Chattanooga. Well, I, I want to go back to one thing that uh, you mentioned is that you said that you believe that now in retrospect, you're looking back and you said that you believe that the way that God worked for you in order to lead him to you, there's a lot of very small things that happen in your life that eventually lead up to uh, this I don't want to say just a conversion experience or there's a whole lot of different terminology that we can bring. Um, but I, I think that that, that is something that I've, I've noticed as a theme in uh, Christian or in, I don't want to say just satanic walks, but in walks away from Christ that uh, I can't remember um, what this quotes from, but the quote is bankruptcy happens very slowly and all of a sudden, very momentous things in our lives for the most part don't happen just all of a sudden there's very small things that build up to those and as you know as police officers as what i have posited earlier that if we are not centered on christ we are going to fall into nihilism or cynicism or substance abuse and you know that substance abuse is not necessarily drugs or even alcohol it can be video games, pornography, just any kind of substance that's able to, to create a bunch of dopamine for us so that we don't think about the problems around us. And going, going off of that, a lot of us, you know, we don't wake up thinking that, man, you know, today's the day I'm going to cheat on my wife. That's, that's, just, that's, that's my goal. Or, uh, you know, I want to get addicted to oxycodone, you know, that's not something that we think of. And, and, but there are small decisions that we make each and every day that eventually lead us down that path if we don't if we don't fix it earlier, right? And the farther we get into sin, the farther or the harder it is to get out of it. Um, and one of the things that you do um, is that you uh, help out the police union where we're at. You're right now. You're the president of one of our police unions. And so if you wouldn't mind, um, I don't want you to say people in particular, but I know that you, you know, working with 300 odd officers, is that about where the, we have, is? we are, our union covers two different local agencies with a total of about 500 officers, 200, uh, from our, our agency. So, so you've seen this, you know, this decline or the, uh, even this roller coaster and I, I would suspect that with police officers, the roller coaster is even more exaggerated. I've heard that um, being a police officer is a lot like taking testosterone. People say that you can take testosterone. If you're a happy person, you become extremely happy. If you're an angry person, you become extremely angry. Th this job is the same way mentally. If you're already a, uh, a joyful person, this job can make you more joyful. But if you're already a depressed person, you're going to become extremely depressed. Yep. Um, so what are... What are some of the ways that you have safeguarded 
help yourself against falling into a lot of the sin that, you know, we see, unfortunately, a lot of our brothers and sisters fall into. And, and I, I think having, having a, that relationship with Jesus has been the primary tool that I've used to veer away from that. But it, it's extremely hard um, that when we are consumed with negativity, that we see that uh, really the uh, most negative aspects of the world on a daily basis, there is that propensity to, to fall into um, that darkness. I, I, when I, when I was training, uh, younger patrol officers, uh, I was an FTO for quite a while and it reminded me of the negativity, the department, the, the issues, the drama, it was like venom, the black Spider-Man and it would creep into your life and it would creep into my life. It wasn't necessarily, and there, there's been times where I know that I was drinking too much. Uh, there was times where negativity would consume 90% of my time. And so that not, I don't believe any of us are impervious to that, that aspects of this job, but getting back to baseline, getting back to the good, healthy habits, I think is one of the tools, um, building the, uh, team around you. Uh, I've always found like, uh, very valuable about surrounding yourself with people that, that bring in, um, light to your life, especially in this, in this, uh, in this job. Um, but you know, being in church, having the most amazing wife, and I'm not just saying that it really, I, when I can come home and she can sort through my nonsense and she can say, you know, call, call truth to the table, um, allow me to call truth to the table. I, it's just refreshing. Um, so her, uh, you know, good group of individuals, good, healthy, habits, uh, daily habits in my life, um, have really helped me, uh, touching on the union stuff, seeing what other people have gone through. And and like you said, it's that bankruptcy. It's the, it's the X factor. It's the bad day when I usually get that phone call, like, um, financial, extreme financial hardship or, uh, divorces, whatever it might be. I'm getting, you know, a lot of those kind of phone calls, peer support, critical incident debrief and or the union it gives me insight to this is this is where that path happens that slow creep in i see that in some ways your job is is i i have heard uh from i had a really good fto that once told me that police are the the band-aid right we show up when the rest of society's social safety networks are or really any anyone else has kind of failed. And then they and the people that are calling the police are calling the police because something drastic has happened because of multiple failures. I mean, pe- people don't get, you don't arrive to someone attacking his wife with a hatchet all of a sudden. You don't get married one day and then do that the next day unless you're just an absolute crazy person. Correct. But when there has just been systematic, problems or I would argue systematic sin that's where you eventually arrive to where the police come to your door well you it's with the police union stuff or with your leadership in the police union you are somewhat also acting 
kind of like the Band-Aid, right? Like people don't call you and say, hey, Ed, I've got a great marriage. I've got awesome kids. I've got, you know, my finances are going great. I'm about to go buy a boat next week. Uh, People are calling you when, you know, they owe their wife more than their paycheck in alimony. Mm -hmm. Um, Or they, you know, got a DUI in their patrol car. You know, there's really bad stuff that, you know, leads up to this. And this is something that uh, Danny Jones talked about is this career suicide. There's a lot of stuff that the stuff builds up to. Um, and eventually you, it boils over and there's a, there is a turning point. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but one of the things that you specialize in ever since I've known you, one of the things that you talk about all the time is leadership. And one of the things that I, I believe is, is good, effective leadership is how once we've arrived at this this pit of whatever's going on. How do we direct this person to get out of that? Uh, would you mind, you know, telling us a little bit of your background on leadership and maybe answering that question a little bit? Absolutely. And it was, I've always had this kind of draw to take care of the, 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 the underdog, the, the disenfranchised in the Marine Corps, the, the lowest rank, the guys that were always ragged on. I, I want to take care of them especially when I, when I feel like something's gone wrong for them, they've been treated unfairly. I want to be their voice. So any position I've ever held, whether it be in the Marine Corps or out, uh, otherwise I've, I've sought those positions out. How can I be your voice? And our, our family as a family, our, our mission, um, is to serve those who serve. And so when I get called out from dinner time or whatever it might be to go help somebody out or a phone call or whatever, our, our family is, has, has accepted that as our, one of our, our missions is that we are serving those who serve. Um, and, and so, you know, further, so that's one of the, the pillars of my leadership is to, to really focus on those that may be uh, being treated unfairly or at least have the perspective of being treated unfairly. Um, I get many phone calls where I I have to correct them and say, Hey, you know, A, B, or C as you were actually not treated unfairly. And here's why, you know, give them that, that light of knowledge. Um, some of my background in leadership, um, I've always, I've always appreciated good quality leaders. And I think I think, unfortunately, fortunately, however it may go, um, I'm so critical about like bad leaders, and it just dwells on me that when there's a bad leader or, or somebody that has a position that they could have great influence, they they take advantage of it or they don't maximize it. And, and I'm sure that I've held positions as well, so it's not just casting stones. I I know that I've had some some pretty big leadership failures. Um, in the Marine Corps, I worked my way up. I was a E5. I was a sergeant. Uh, before we left Afghanistan, I had about a hundred Marines underneath me at any point in time. Um, uh, yeah, I had my my main body of of Marines that were about forty strong, and we read we we led uh, a bunch of security convoys, uh, did some other stuff over there. And the the framework it was day day one at Paris Island was you're going to learn how to you're going to at least have the knowledge on how to lead, um, and, and so regardless of your innate abilities or whatever, they're giving you the knowledge, and then they're also putting you in situations to apply that knowledge. Um, and it was just something that that it, it was one of those topics that just rang very loud to me. 
Um, and, you know, since then, I, you know, class president times two and, you know, both my, my academies um, coming up through the department. I've sat on a couple boards. Um, again, like you said, I'm the, the president of our of our local union. Um, Jonathan Parker, the, the pastor of Cop Church, he's also um, a, a student of leadership is how he explained it. And that's when he said that, I'm like, yeah, that's it's continual. It's it's ever it's it's never stopping. Um, and so kind of, you know, touching on uh, on your question about like uh, some of the how, how to lead people when they're in the the darkest of spots, it's terribly difficult um, because it's, it's, I appreciate those calls. Um, and, and so to offer that, that lending hand, and I think a lot of times it's just being there to answer the phone, I think is that big step one that they know that they've got somebody that, Hey, this is, and it's just like, you, you, you made it a phenomenal comparison to what I do with police is what police do to communities. Um, and that we're, most of the time when we get those calls, it's very easy. It's very simple. It's some comfort. It's some words of encouragement. It's, it's some guidance. Um, you know, there's other things, but a lot of times it's, it's, it's very simple. The, one of the things that I have noticed that we as police officers, um, sometimes we have an issue with is that we'll, we have an issue with providing empathy to other people when they're going through maybe the same situation, because, you know, don't get me wrong. We're used to, uh, in, in quotes, criminals, right? We're, we're used to people that continuously break the law every day and we have to go arrest them every other day. But sometimes, you know, people that call the police are just normal people where something really bad's going down. And we will expect, and we will treat them poorly, not intending to, and I'm not saying that every police officer's done this, but I know that I personally, as a cop, have gone to a domestic and not given, probably not given it the amount of time that I should have because, you know, they were just, I was used to going to, to that call all the time. Yep. And, you know, it's something we have to realize is that we – have this badge, we have this gun and we were endowed with this power from the city, which is from the state, um, but through the people that we have to serve people just like we want to be treated. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that that's one of the good hallmarks of a leader is that a leader is not going to ask someone to do something that they, uh, that he himself hasn't done. Um, one of the, the best, professors that I had at university is, um, was this professor where she had written book after book, after book, after book, after book. And when she asked us to do X, Y, paper on X, Y, and Z, she was able to point to, you know, maybe I've never written a, a paper directly on what you're about to write something on, but, uh, she was able to say, Hey, you know, I've been there. I've done that. I understand what, what you're going through. This may be real difficult for you, but you know, everyone has been through this before that is doing this class. I've done it before myself. And she didn't expect anything that was, um, she pushed you to do your best work, but didn't have unreasonable expectations as to what your work would be. And I think that that is one of the, um, 
one of the hallmarks of, of a good leader. I don't know if you have any more on insight on that one. Yeah, that, that, uh, emotional intelligence, right? So, so there's not like kind of stepping back that, that leadership is a, uh, it's ongoing. Being a student of leadership is ongoing. And so one of the things that, uh, that I recognize is that three different people could bring me the same problem and it's not a one size fits all. Each individual has different um, experiences and, and expectations of their leaders. And so to really get to know them, and, and I, I believe one of the foundations of leadership is being able to build relationships. So that's where, you know, leadership is inspiring somebody to do something. And to be able to inspire somebody, you have to have a relationship with them. And, um, and it's not like a touchy feely. It's just having them know that you care, uh, about what's going on, uh, with them. Um, and so again, going back to the three individuals having, you know, even if it's the same financial problem, each one of them, um, through a relationship, you'll be able to kind of craft, you know, whether it's guidance or just a talking or, or a listening ear, whatever it might be, you'll, you're able to kind of adjust your leadership style through different people. Um, you know, in law enforcement, we have like what is, you know, deemed as a, like a hierarchical, uh, leadership structure. And it's the, the top is up there and the bottom is down here. And it's not based much on relationship. It's, it's based on rank and positions of authority. And I think we miss oftentimes within law enforcement, we miss what is expected of us. Going back to your story about showing up to a domestic violence, the expectation is that you care uh, you show some level of care for them and, and, and their family and whatever it is, and you put forth effort and good customer service and all that. And that's the expectation outwards. The expectation inwards, inside our, our, our four, four walls of our department, it, or law enforcement in general, is not based on relationship. It's, it's hey, I'm, I'm this rank. Here's the expectations. Go do it. Um, so I think that, you know, finding myself in, in situations where I'm talking to officers or, um, other individuals, um, is getting to know them and, you know, seeing how, how can I help? How can I be of service to them and, um, to, to give them the best of myself, uh, to, to get to know them. And and I think that that is, is a quality of, of a Christian that he doesn't look towards how can he make, you know, sweeping changes right here and now and address a bunch of problems. Um, I think that you know, the building block of any Christian walk, but especially that of a leader is humility. And one of the, one of the, one of the, the ways that, you know, I personally try to embody that is whenever there is a problem that is presented to me, like, let's say, uh, we have, let's say all the police cars are dirty and all of the, the 50 police cars that we have assigned to our precinct are dirty. Yeah. Right. And you know, they say, okay, we have to make them all clean. Well, in eight hours, well, I, I can't go clean 50 cars in eight hours. I can't do that. But I know that in my, where I am now in my small little bubble of the, the little power that I have, I can maybe clean three or four. And so the, when I, when I, whenever I come across a problem, I always try to ask what, 
are the small ways that I can make a change towards something that in the end is, is a greater good. Right. Um, and I think that sometimes that we, we miss that and that we, we can sit and complain about something. There may be a systematic issue, right? But our job as police officers in, in, in the, at the end of the day, protect and serve. And a huge part of that is fixing things. And, you know, so our, our telos, the reminder that is, um, our purpose is, you know, we are, we're doers, we're out there, we're in the arena doing things. And one of the things that we can do is work in our small little bubble in our small little way that we can into improve the, the world around us. Right. Um, you have any insight on that? Yeah. As you're sitting there talking about, having like this great job and, and trying to get people to come together. It leads me back to that, the inspiration and in the, the book you had shared with me, um, uh, you are what you love. You are what you love. Uh, he makes reference that if you need a boat built, don't teach somebody how to build a boat, but teach them to desire the sea. And it was just, and he says it multiple times in the book and it just, it just sank into me. I'm like, that's, that's what we do. That's what we need to do uh, is to, to, to teach people the, what, what is that, the, to desire the, 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 greater, the greater purpose. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I, I think that as you um, begin to do, recognize what, because we are all doing it for the most part. We're doing something in our lives that are having those little incremental uh, 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 adjustments for good, whether it's on a call or, you know, peer support sitting next to our, our officers, whatever it might be, recognizing it, changing it from like maybe sometimes like a, a passive, passive thing to an intentional thing. Um, and then growing it, um, you know, it goes from, um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a good listener to my, my officers or whatever. Okay. Well then what else can I do with that, that, that skill set that, that gift that God has blessed me with, what else can I do with that? Um, and, and so being intentional, I, I think that was one of my pivotal points is like, okay, I, I've, God has blessed me with, with some, a couple gifts. Um, and I, I need to be intentional with those and I need to maximize them for the greater good. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is, and, you know, in the long run, we are never going to be able to master all of the gifts that that we could potentially have, right? And, you know, at, at the end of the day, I have noticed that, um, and this is uh, not just police officers, but really anyone, you're, as police, our job never ends, right? Uh, the end goal of a police department would be to have a jurisdiction where there is zero crime. Well, if there's zero crime, why does the police department exist? Right. And so at, at the end of the day, you know, our people are going to commit crime. Our job is never going to end. And so the, the problem that we have is that we can continue to fight to stop crime, but there will always be crime. And that, that I think is a small microcosm of one of every human's problems that, you know, that we have, that we see on, on, on this earth and that we continue to strive towards things. We always think that, okay, I need the next promotion or I need this next car or I need this bigger house or, or whatever. And then 
I'm going to be happy or I'm going to be such a better person or I'm going to show all my friends that I now drive an Audi something, 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 and I'm the coolest guy on the block. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, we are never going to reach utopia here on this earth. That is only reserved for heaven. And so this is one of the great teachings of, of Ecclesiastes. We, yes, we need to honor God with our work. And the way that we do that is being diligent by embodying virtue, um, by continuing to glorify him. But we also need to remember that we cannot continue to, we cannot make, we cannot make police work our telos. This is something that Danny Jones talked about a, a lot. We can't make police work the reason why we exist. Exactly. And at, out at the end of the day, there has to be something else that is above that, that will continue to push us so that we are able, I would argue, to, to better glorify God. Um, if you read Ecclesiastes, a lot of people um, think, a lot of people get the wrong message from Ecclesiastes. So a reminder about Ecclesiastes, basically, um, in Ecclesiastes, it is a description of, you would almost think that that someone who is a complete nihilist wrote it, because uh, one, of, one of the quotes from um, Ecclesiastes is, I can't remember the exact verse, but vanity, vanity, everything is vanity. Uh, in the Hebrew, that what that, tra- what that translates to is like vapor or wisp or nothing, like you can't grab at something. And... At the end of the day, the conclusion that and this is, you know, multiple chapters all condensed together is that at the end of the day, we're while we are here on this earth, we are never going to be able to see the face of the father. We are never going to be able to just ascend ourselves into heaven right now. So we should enjoy the life that the God has given us and glorify him with everything that we do. And and that is with your family, that is with good drink and food, that is with your friends, that is with your hobbies, that is with your work. But at the end of the day, we we cannot make police work our telos, our personal telos, because we are not ontologically built for that. Our the way in which we work, we move in the earth is not built to be the, the super cop. It is built to glorify Christ. And if we don't glorify Christ, we are going to fall into sin. I, I cannot stress that enough. Yep. Um, I think with that, we're going to take a little bit of a break. And we're back. Uh, before we get into the next questions for Ed, I wanted to add a quote from uh, Alexander Schmidman's For the Life of the World. Um, and this aligns with what I was just saying before the break. Quote, when we see the world as an end in itself, everything becomes itself a value and consequently loses all value. Because only in God is found the meaning or value of everything. And the world is meaningful only when it is the sacrament of God's presence. 
Things treated merely as things in themselves destroy themselves because only in God have they any life. For the world of nature cut off from the source of life is a dying world. With that being said, what um, are a few ways that a Christian who knows that at the end of the day his purpose is to glorify God are some ways that a Christian can embody good leadership? Good Christian leader, and there's so many facets of leadership. And again, going back to the... uh, Every time I think I I know something, I recognize how many things I I don't know. Um, living living that that Christian life that that life of service uh, as a leader, and I, m- more often than not, we get that backed up or, or upside down that leaders are to be served and they're uh, the governing authority instead of what what Christ showed, and He came to be you know to to serve, not to be served, um, and so. I think that that's one of the things, and we we just talked about that is is my my intentionality to serve those around me, below me, left, right, and above me. Um, being being bold um, as a Christian and as a leader, taking those active, uh, non passive steps, taking those bold steps that oftentimes that we. Uh, get afraid that we might be ridiculed or um, it may come back against us, even though we know it's the right thing. Um, so those are a couple things that I think that, that a good Christian leader can take active steps in, in, in embodying uh, Christ. Yeah, I think one of the, the things that I've really admired about good leaders around, whether it be in this department or outside, is that a good leader is able to speak truth even when it's not popular. Uh, if, um, if the world is against Christ, I am against the world, right? Or if the world is against truth, I am against the world. And then you, you need to be able to say that, you know, something is wrong, that something is indeed wrong. And I, I really admire that about people who are able to publicly stand up and say that, even though, you know, they may, there may be repercussions for that. Um, another question along those lines. So, I personally have never, I don't want to say never, but I, I really have not had a lot of professional or even you know, extracurricular leadership positions. And so, um, you know, one of the things that I know good leaders look for is other people to model uh, themselves after. Do you have any saints or any, anyone in particular that you, you look up to like, Hey, this is someone that I really want to embody. And I, I, I think Paul, you know, Paul just like resonates with me as he, you talk about standing up and saying what's, you know, not popular, you know, and he goes to, to, to Rome or, he, you know, writes to Rome and, and he's saying all the things that are not popular. Um, and, um, he, he has leadership that the Bible's riddled with like in, in, in his writings, how his leadership abilities through, uh, j- not just other churches, but then his, you know, uh, the individuals are close to him, Timothy, like he takes him, uh, you know, and, and helps him develop a, a, as a Christian, as a, as, as somebody that goes out and teaches the gospel. Um, at I mean, great personal sacrifice. A hundred percent. Let's, let's, let's uh, nail yes, that. Like, that is- death like multiple times death and and we're sitting here like oh i i could be ridiculed or i could you know i could get in trouble this he's facing death and yet he still stands like we just said boldly 
boldly stands and says and, and, and proclaims Jesus. Um, so that's, you know, that's in, in, not that I was an atheist or agnostic or anything like that, but I, I certainly had my times grow, before I before I came to Christ, uh, ridiculing some aspects of the church, and it was just how I, and not to say that it was okay, but it was how I how I was raised. Well, I mean, I, I would I would push back the on being able to criticize the church. I I believe that you know the church is made up of humans. Humans will always fail God. And so when church leadership fails, we really shouldn't be surprised. The best thing that we can do is reorient leadership towards Christ. That's get, right. get rid of, if it's just an example of, of maybe a mismanagement, maybe that can be corrected. But you know, if, if someone is living in obvious sin and they are leading a church, they need to leave that church. <laughs> Absolutely. Know? And if that sin is illegal, be prosecuted. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I can't, this is, you know, this is a, a pedestal for me, but I cannot stress enough how important it is for us to prosecute, especially those who are in authority for, for personal crimes. Um, you know, the obvious example here is uh, pastors or priests that prey upon kids. Not only do they need to be defrocked, they need to be prosecuted because what they are doing is wrong in the eyes of God and the eyes of the world. Absolutely. Um, that, that is something that I can't stress enough is that we have to apply the same morals that we enforce on others on ourselves as well. That's right. And, you know, legally we have, there's a couple examples of, there's a couple examples of, of exceptions, but those are, in the course of our duties and Correct. like those are you know driving right yeah. we have an exception for driving or we have an exception you know we're legally the only people allowed to quote unquote kidnap people we're not Correct. we're not kidnapping per se um but taking it, their right of uh, freedom away yeah and that's a huge responsibility yeah and and so with that response with that power that we have to do that as you do said, as you have said, does come great responsibility, correct? You know, Spider-Man's right, right? <laughs> um, what are some of the qualities that you believe define a, a good leader and a bad one? I, I think some of the, the qualities that uh, define a good leader are, yeah, yeah, there's um, that humility, uh, recognizing, recognizing the things that you don't know, um, recognizing uh, the... Um, the fact that we shouldn't we shouldn't believe I, I guess the, the the quote is we shouldn't believe everything we think because because as we as you and I sit here some of the things that we think are not true and actual and, and the reckon the recognition or to recognize that is is that humility um, the putting yourself second or third or last um, being able to put people above you to give that self-sacrifice of I'm giving of my, my time, my money, my energy, um, being able to sacrifice that are, are just some of those, those, some of those core qualities uh, of a good leader, uh, teachability, being able to learn, you know, a new skill set or something like that to be able to become more well-rounded. Some of the, uh, um, 
qualities of a bad leader and could go on for a very long time about that, but not being genuine to who you are. I, I see these, the, some individuals that are just fake, uh, that they put on this, this, this front of who they, who they think they ought to be. And they don't recognize their, their flaws and their weaknesses. And they have all these blind spots. And, and the, the, the really hard thing is when they, are smart and intelligent and they recognize them, but they turn away from that where, where they know that they have these weaknesses and they refuse to make any kind of, you know, forward progress to, to, to strengthen themselves. Um, greed, um, selfishness, um, not caring for others, not, not having the ability or not, not taking the time to try to get to know those in and around their, their circle of influence. Uh, so those are a couple of the, 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 um, the, the good and bad aspects of leadership um, that I think that, and there's a million books and there's articles and there's research and everything at, at the core of, uh, of, at the core of leadership is I truly believe relationship um, and, and getting to know people, showing them that you care. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's something that, that I think that I, sometimes I do a poor job of, expressing this to my, my wife and the rest of my family is that, you know, when you are a police officer's wife, you do sacrifice for, uh, you know, I, part of it is your, your husband's sanity. Part of it is the community in and of itself. And I think that that's something that we need to do is recognize that, you know, my wife has put up with me working the weirdest shift in the world. And on top of that, she deals with all the, uh, the, ins and outs of working for what would be a, you know, a paramilitary organization. So, you know, we get called in all the time, uh, especially, you know, you, someone who does investigations, you're on, you are on call. And some days, you know, you may be at home with your family about to sit down and eat dinner. Hey, we've got a search warrant. Let's go. And so I, I think that, you know, a good leader also recognizes that the, the people around him, that, enable him to, to quote unquote lead. Right. And you know, that, that is something that, you know, if you are married as a police officer, please express to your, <laughs> to your spouse that, you know, you are one of the reasons why I can do this. Um, and your support even during this, when even when I, you know, I don't want to go out either and, and deal with whatever's going on, but your support during that means so much because I know that it affects you as well. Uh, that that's something that, you know, another soapbox I want to stand on is that that is so important to express that to, um, to your significant others, to your, to your spouse. Yeah. yeah and, and within, and I guess that, that appreciation, you're absolutely right. Like my, my wife is just, I couldn't do it. Like nearly any of the things that I do without her, unwavering support. I mean, it's, it's a dinner time. Like, Hey, I got to go. It's a 2 AM. Like, Hey, I'm leaving. Don't know when you'll be back. Like all all this uncertainty that she lives with. And we talk about trauma for law enforcement officers, but trauma is is cumulative, even in the the micro doses. So, you know, call out at 2 AM or a close call or, you know, a text and a bunch of uncertainty about when I'll be home. All of those things add up and yet they still do it. Uh, the, the, the supportive spouses of law enforcement officers. And we, as, as officers, like you said, we don't do a good enough job saying, thank you. 
thank you. I appreciate it. I couldn't do this without you. We, we want to, we want our quiet time. We want to, you know, go into our little, uh, little confined space and just appreciate the quiet and, and, and the, the sanity for a second, but they need us. They need that, that energy from us. Um, so again, it's sacrificing that they, they sacrifice for us. So we, we ought to give back to them. So, and one of the things that you touched on is the, is the micro trauma, right? The, the daily ins and outs of, of this job. And, you know, the, the book that uh, we were just kind of talking about, um, you are what you love. He talks about a bunch of, you know, we're the daily habits that, that you can do. One of the things that, um, really struck me a couple of days ago when I learned it is that the, the traditional definition. So in, in the Bible, the, the definition of worship is analogous or it to the word sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So a worship is sacrifice, right? Yep. And so, you know, the, the Jews would sacrifice the bull, uh, to God, to Yahweh. And, um, you know, Christ is the ultimate sacrifice that is central to, yes. to, to Christianity. Um, and one of the things that, you know, every day we, we can see that sometimes we, we do make sacrifices and if we are sacrificing one thing for another, then we are worshiping that one thing over the other, right? Um, with police work, you know, we don't get paid the most amount of money. Uh, you, you don't do this job. I've said this before. You don't do this job because you want to get rich. Um, and so one of the, the things that police officers will commonly do if your department allows it will is... Um, you know, work a bunch of extra jobs or that's, you know, off duty. You've already worked for 40 hours that week. You have, you know, you go in on your off time and, and work and in some ways, you know, that can be nice to provide for your family. Um, if you want to get something cool, you know, buy a gun, buy something, uh, you know, buy a shirt, whatever. But at the end of the day, if you're sacrificing time with your family for that, you are inherently worshiping police work over like you were worshiping police work and not glorifying your family. <laughs> That's right. And I, I cannot stress the, once again, the importance of being there with your family, because at, at the end of the day, you got to glorify Christ. If, um, and you know, the, the Orthodox view, the, the Eastern Orthodox view on the family is that the family is a little church. It is, you know, you've got a, the dad is the leader. Mom is also there right there with them. You've got the kids. Um, and so you, you have to, lead your family hopefully to glorify Christ and, you know, in all that you do. Yeah. And so, um, you know, when you make sacrifices and I, I mean that in all int- intents and purposes, then you're, you're inherently not glorifying God. Um, because it, when you make sacrifices, let me rephrase that. Many times police officers make sacrifices for glorious and noble things. At the end of the day, if a police officer sacrifices his life for the community, that is one of the most humble and utmost worthy of praise things that a police officer can do, mm-hmm. um, if not the most for a police officer. But on, on the other hand, you can't, you can't worship money or make decisions that require you to work a bunch of extra jobs so that 
because at the end, the, at the end of the day, that's not that's not glorifying to your family, and it's not glorifying to God. That's right. um, and so that you know, another soapbox to stand on here, but that that is something that I, I think that we sometimes don't get. Yeah, yeah, I and and we we are called. It's inherent in this job to that we're gonna have to sacrifice. We're, we're gonna have to sacrifice time with our family, and that is it, it, where where is our heart at? Are we are we sacrificing that? just simply to get more money, to go buy things, to get more money, to vacations and everything. Um, so I think that there's some intentionality, uh, behind like, what, what, what is it that is drawing you away from your family? What is the, what is your heart saying? Is it to go serve? Is it to go, uh, you know, uh, to go keep the, the active shooter call comes out and like, Hey, I've got to go. I, I'm serving versus hey, I got this extra job. It's $55 an hour. I've got to be there for six hours on Saturday and we can't go to Lake Winnie. Right. So two different, two different things right there. Um, so that, that sacrifices worship giving. And, and one of the things, and it was said, you know, in the Academy and whenever else is that when, when you're home, you're home, when you're at work, you're at work. And, so many times I see how these lines just, they, they get grayed and they get blurred and officers are at home doing all this work and then they're at, at work and they're doing, all, they, they, you know, eight hours I've seen, I've seen guys that I work with eight hours, they're on the phone texting or calling or what, communicating with their spouse. And I'm like, whoa, Hey, you're here. Let's, let's be here. And you know, obviously there's times and, but when it's a pattern, it's like, we, we've got to, have those divides so that when you are at home, that you are lifting your family up, that you are actively leading your fa- your family, you're, you're intentional, you're well-rested, you're healthy, and you're there. And then be here. So what are some of the the, the quotidian practices, the day-to-day practices that we can do so that uh, we are better able to lead our families and you know, at the end, hopefully to glorify Christ. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and it kind of goes back to that divide that we are, when we're at home and there's, there's nothing else going on, we're not just reading emails to read emails, that we do that in a designated time. So organization, I, I think is like being intentional with our time, that when I get to work, I get all of my, my initial work stuff done. I get my emails done. But when I, when I get up in the morning, um, I get up very early in the morning, and I'm, I'm very blessed to have um, a first shift job. Um, and I'm very blessed to have a, a stay-at-home wife that you know gets the kids up and they do all of those things. So, so some of my, 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 my daily habits aren't, you know, kind of like widespread, but there, I do believe that there are things that can be gleaned from it. Organization. Um, we, we, we often walk into people's lives as officers and it's just this happenstance that it's, everything's just kind of in a, in a mess and it's a disarray. And you see, we usually see them like the, the outcome, the product of that is we look in their house and it's, and it's a mess. And so if we can organize our lives and our time that we can be intentional with it. I think that gives us the power to um, lead our families that, that I, I have this time that I try to be very intentional for, for 30 minutes before the kids go to school is that's our time. That's my, my time to how are the kids doing, helping my wife, you know, doing those things. Yeah. Personally, one of the things that uh, I've recently started doing is that whenever I am home for the evening, I uh, will help, my kid with her, her bedtime uh, routine. That's that, that's something that you know. My wife said, 
initially, like, you know, after bed or after, after dinner, I really didn't want to do anything. Cause normally, um, if I'm the one that's at the house, nine out of 10 times, I'm the one cooking. Yeah. I, that's something that I've picked up. Yeah. And one of the things that, um, you know, after cooking, you know, sometimes you just want to sit there and not read a book or not do anything. And, you know, it, I think it's important for us to, you know, spend time with my kid in, you know, what would be considered like an, an intimate environment, yes. right? Uh, where, you know, she's getting ready to, you know, get, you know, get a bath, go to sleep, do, you know, do, you know, day-to-day stuff. But, you know, for, for a two-year-old, that, 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 is that means a lot because you know that you know look at here dad's spending time with me when he's home um and he's and he's you know helping me out with the things that i can't do we, you know once again we're we are physically you know we are way greater than your very small child is and so that means a lot when you have to do a lot for them right yeah. it's you know you're sacrificing for your kid and yeah. so um and 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 on that like i i've definitely taken it. And it's, it's a very vulnerable state that children are in getting ready for bed because they're, you know, they're essentially away from you. Um, especially a young child, like two years old that like is, is, is used to adult contact. And so you're, you're putting them, you're putting them in a, in a dark room and, and, and they're the last, you're the last thing that they see and speak with and think of before bed. And so it's a very vulnerable and impressionable time for, for children. And I do the same thing with my, my two boys. And I've done that. I've got a nine year old and a six year old and my baby girl is going to turn four. So yes. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, uh, we pray the, our father, um, yeah. and then, um, we do, you know, we make sure to cross ourselves and, and then we, you know, tell our night. Um, but yeah, I, I think that a great interview It has been really good to have you here to talk about, you know, a lot of different things, especially around leadership. Um, if you have any questions, feel free to, to email remaining sane podcast at gmail.com. Once again, the remaining sane podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at, at remaining sane PC. This is the remaining sane finding peace in our chaos podcast. Have a blessed rest of your day.